All right. You know how this goes. If you've got a Bible, grab it, open it, turn it on, follow along on screen in your outline or use the Central Church app. Um, John chapter 1 is where we're going to start. We're going to jump around to a few different places um, in the Gospels today. But John 1 is where we're starting. Um, this is a brand new series we're starting today called Flawed. Um, we're going to spend the next several weeks looking at a guy in the Bible named Peter. <laughs> I love Peter. Um, Peter is that guy that if you ever feel like you're not good enough, if you ever feel like you kind of maybe God's mad at you and he'll never use you or you've screwed up or you've done way too many bad things, Peter is the guy that'll cheer you up and put a smile on your face because this dude's an idiot. Like he had done some things that you're just like, are, are you kidding? And Jesus chose him. Like Jesus, like a, a few weeks ago, one of our elders was up here and he used Romans chapter 8 to talk about election. And he talked about that before the foundation of the world, God knew us. Before the foundation of the world, God knew Peter. And God knew what Peter was going to do. P God knew Peter was going to screw up over and over and over again. He was going to fall down and get back up and fall down and get back up and fall down and get back up. And, and God used him in amazing ways. It's crazy to me. It's, it's, it's crazy to think about the whole idea of God even choosing us, isn't it? I mean, we're not good. None of us. We are all messy, broken, jacked up people. Every one of us. But he chose us. And he died for us. Why? Have you ever spent time thinking about that? Have you ever spent time thinking about yourself and, and, and thinking about all the things that you've done? Because I, honestly, left to myself, I'm running from Jesus. Left to myself, I am self-destructing. Like, that's my appetite, baby, self-destruction. I am gone if I'm by myself. And a lot of you, you are too. We are bad, sinful people. Why would he choose us? I was thinking about this the other day, and it got me thinking to back in elementary school times when, when you were at recess and they would pick teams. Remember that? Pick two captains, right? And two captains then would pick the teams. Anybody remember? That? Anybody know what I'm talking about right here? How many of you? I get stressed out just from looking at that right there. I started to sweat a little bit. Because first of all, I was never the captain. Because when it came to athletics, especially in middle school or elementary school, middle school and elementary school, I was tiny. I, I was small. And so I can remember standing there. There are two team captains. Some of you getting the flashbacks of this right now, aren't you? <laughs> like, it's two team captains. There's always that one team captain that you wanted to pick you, right? Because you knew that his team or her team was going to dominate and they were going to win. And, and, and the other team captain, like, if, you, if that person picked you, you're like, oh, man, I guess we're going to lose. Oh, whatever. I can't tell you. And I'm not. I'm not making this up. This, this is probably good therapy time for me. Um, but I can't tell you the number of times I was the last person standing there. And then the captains would get into an argument. You're laughing because you know what they said. You take Ryan. Oh, no, you take him. No, you take him. No, seriously, no, you take him. No, the teams will be uneven. That's, that's all right. We'll take the next person that comes in. You, you can have him. And it felt helpless. Right? You're standing there wanting somebody to pick you, but at the end of the day, you know that you're probably not going to get picked. You're going to be the last person there. And if you do get picked, they didn't really want you on their team in the first place. 
Everybody in this room probably knows something like that from recess or school or a pickup game or whatever. But that's the way some of us feel spiritually. Let's say, hypothetically, that God told Jesus and Satan, hey, we're going to play a game, and you two are captains. Jesus, you pick first. And Jesus looks out, and he's like, I want that guy right there. Now, why would he do that? Why would he do that? Why would Jesus pick us? What would draw Jesus to us? Like, like, why would God pick somebody like me? Why would God pick anybody like us? If, if you grew up in the church, you'd say things, well, Jesus would pick the people and want the people on his team that know all of their Bible verses and they've memorized Bible verses and they go to their quiet time and they know the apostles by name and they know all of this stuff and blah, blah, blah. And, and all that stuff is great. All that stuff is wonderful. You should know those things. But as we look through the scripture, the people that God seems to choose over and over and over and over again are the exact people that religion would usually reject over and over and over again. The the person that Jesus chooses to use is not the person who thinks that they're good, but the person who knows they're not good. Over and over and over again, we see that in the scripture. And so my question to you today is this, and I asked this about a month or so ago, but it's worth asking again today. If Jesus were to call you and to ask you to do something, like like if he wants to do something in your life, like he wants to use you, then my question would be, would you be open to it? Would you surrender to it? Like think about it like this. If Jesus actually called you on the phone, would you answer the call? Or would you, because we all got different options when we answer, when, when somebody calls us, right? Isn't caller ID the greatest thing in the world? Isn't that the most fantastic thing in the world? Phone rings, well, it's Mary, I better answer it. You coming home soon? Why, what are we doing? Oh, yeah, I'll be there in a minute, baby. Just kidding, I don't get that phone call. Um, <laughs> sorry, I didn't do that in any of those, so I don't know why I just did that right there. I'm so sorry, I don't know where I'm at. All right, so. Would you take the call, or would you be like that person who calls, and you're like, you pull out, you're like, oh, mm, if I answer this, I know this is like a 45-minute call at a minimum. You know what I'm talking about? So you just, <laughs> sorry, John Sampson, not today. Or do you look at it and just immediately send it to voicemail? Like, and, and so if Jesus were to call you today, w- would you take it? Would you have to think about it? Or would you just send them straight to voicemail? Like, that, that's not a question for you. That, that seriously is a, is a question for me because I wrestle with that too. And so to answer it, I want to show you this story about a guy named Peter. Now, Peter, like, his story has always confused me because we're taught in church that one day Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee. He sees Peter. Peter's fishing. And Jesus says, hey, man, come and follow me. And then Peter left everything and followed Jesus. And then we call that faith. We should have the faith like Peter. We should just drop everything and follow Jesus. I call that irresponsible. Seriously. If we came in, like, like we have staff meetings on Tuesdays. If, if John Sampson came in and said, hey man, I'm quitting. Why are you quitting? Well, I was out in the parking lot and this hippie came by. Had a flowing robe, some sandals, and Ryan, the most beautiful hair I've ever seen. And he looked at me and he said, hey, John, follow me. And so I just thought I'm going to follow him, so I'm quitting. I would not think that was responsible, right? So, so there's got to be more to the story of Peter than what we really know. 
And so I've been really, over the past several months, really diving in to the life and the story of Simon Peter and what it took for him to actually follow Jesus. What it took for him to actually say, yeah, I surrender all, I'm going to drop everything and I'm going to follow you, I'm going to sell out my life for you. Did you know that Jesus drew Peter through a process? There are, there are four accounts the life of Jesus are called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see different perspectives on the story. And so what I want to do today is I want to show you how Peter went from, I'm just going to surrender a little bit, to I'm going to surrender some, to eventually I surrender everything. It's a process it's a thing called effectual calling. It's where God draws a person to himself, where, where God reveals himself to somebody. It, it's, it's like this. It's like how people can hear the message, and then you hear it again, and then you hear it again, and you hear it again. Like people ask me all the time, why do you do the prayer of salvation at the end of every service? It's because of this. It's because we can hear it over and over and over and over and over again, but there comes a time where you realize who you are but more importantly, you realize who Jesus is. In that moment, Jesus makes himself known to you, fully known to you. I'll show you. We're going to pick up the story in John's gospel. Um, he writes a story about Peter meeting Jesus, and it's really cool. John one thirty five says this. The following day, John, that, that's not John the apostle who wrote it. It's John the Baptist. I know it's confusing, lots of Johns. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples, as Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look! Notice the exclamation point? He's yelling. He's excited about this. I, I don't know if this ever happened to you, but it's weird when somebody says, look! And points at you, right? People stare. I don't know, maybe that's never happened to you, but look! There's the Lamb of God. John had no problem. John the Baptist had no problem identifying who Jesus is. Look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples, John the Baptist's two disciples, heard this, they followed Jesus. When John's two disciples heard, look, there's the Lamb of God, takes away the sin of the world, they followed Jesus. So these are like Jesus' first two stalkers, like it is. They're, they're, they're following Jesus. Anybody ever follow you around? You ever had that? Somebody just follow you around? Like, I, this happened to me not too long ago. Somebody followed me around at Walmart. Walmart. I didn't want to be in Walmart in the first place. And now there are people messing with me. Like, I don't, like, come on, man. I'm walking. Have you ever, you ever done this? You're walking and you feel like there are people behind you. You turn around and you look and there's no one there. And then you're walking and you look. And then you hear giggling in the next aisle over. And I'm like, mmm, I ain't got time for this. And so I hurried and I took a, a turn and I came back around. And there's two girls who go to our 712 U Center. And I snuck up behind them. I went, hey! Scared the crap out of them. And they're like, oh, Pastor Ryan, um, we were wondering if you could be on our Be Real. And I'm like, I don't even know what the heck that is. And they're like, well, it's like Snapchat. I'm like, whatever, man, fine. Just don't be weird about it next time, right? These people are stalking Jesus. It's kind of like the same thing. And Jesus turns around and he calls them out. Look at this. What do you want? <laughs> Probably freaked him out a little bit. Anybody ever confronted you? Anybody ever done that? You don't know what to say? Jesus is like, what do you want? And they're like, um, <laughs> Rabbi... Where, where are you staying? That's all they could come up with. This is the Son of God. Where are you staying? And this is what he says. I love this. Come and see, he said. It was about, look at this. This is huge. It's about four o'clock in the afternoon. Now, I wish I could tell you that 
I work from nine to five. Um, I don't. I have, I have weird hours. But how many of you um, work nine to five, and at four o'clock, you're getting ready for five o'clock because five o'clock is quitting time? How many of that? Five o'clock. Like, typically, from four o'clock to five o'clock, you're just waiting. I read this study um, not too long ago that said the most unproductive hour in workplace, like an industry, is the hour between four and five because people don't work because they're like getting ready for five o'clock. They're getting ready for quitting time. And they said the solution was to shorten the workday and move the workday, but the end of the workday back to four o'clock. And I'm like, you idiots. Then people are just going to do the same thing from three o'clock to four o'clock. Who gets paid to do these studies? Like sign me up, please. Let me get paid for that type of thing. And so they're just, they're just waiting, right? Like that's typically what happens. And so don't miss that. Four o'clock in the afternoon, um, when they went to, with him to the place where he was staying, they remained with him the rest of the day. So the rest of the day, they're with him. Sun's going down. Now, quick question. How many of you have ever worked third shift? You've worked a third shift job. All right. If you worked a third shift job at four o'clock in the afternoon, what are you probably doing? Sleeping, right? Sleeping. Because if you're going to work from 12 at night till 8 in the morning, typically that's what third shift job is, right? 4 o'clock, you're going to be sleeping. So keep that in mind. Peter was a what? What do you do for a living? Fisherman, right? And in the New Testament, this is so cool. In the New Testament, fishermen wouldn't fish during the day. They fished at night. They essentially worked the third shift. And so when this happened, Andrew, this is, this is Peter's brother. He's one of the John's disciples that left and followed Jesus. You'll see that in a second. Andrew meets Jesus at four o'clock, then spends the rest of the day with him. It's now about nine, ten o'clock in the evening. Peter is probably getting ready to get up and go to work. And Andrew is excited about seeing the Messiah. And so he's going to tell his brother Peter about it. Peter, most likely, is getting up, getting ready to go fishing. All night long, which to some of you is probably like dream come true. For me, that's like hell on earth, right? Because I don't like to fish. Peter did it for a living. And so Peter's getting ready to get up, go to work, and fish. But Andrew is over here meeting Jesus. He's excited. Watch this, verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah. Now, that's a big deal. Because Jewish people had literally been looking for the Messiah for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. From the close of the Old Testament, then the Malachi to the beginning of Matthew, 425 years have elapsed. And so literally for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, they've been waiting for the promised Messiah from the Old Testament to show up. They were looking for the Messiah who they believed was going to come and set them free from Rome. And so Peter, think about this. Think this through with me. He's getting ready to go to work. He's got his plans. He wants to do life his way. All of a sudden, here comes Andrew, super excited about the Messiah. And Peter's probably like, hmm, I don't know, man. I'm sure he's great. I'm sure he's all you say. I'm sure he's got cool sandals and nice hair. I'm sure he's awesome. But, dude, I got to go fish. Little brother, I got to go make some money. I got to pay the bills. And watch this, because Andrew ain't taking no for an answer. Verse 42, then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Now, I don't think Simon went along willingly. I think Simon, this is Peter, I think he was like, all right, fine. I'll postpone my, my fishing for a little while. I can see this is important to you. I'll go with you to meet Jesus. I'll, I'll go do that. But then I'm coming right back. 
So don't give me the conversation or anything. I'll go meet the Messiah. I'll go see this Jesus, but then I'm coming back. I'll give him some time. I'll give him something, all right? I'll give him a little bit of time, but that's it. I'm not giving him anything else. I'm going to go fish. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus at the kid. Can you imagine this? Like the, Andrew walks in, hey, Jesus, this is my brother. And Jesus just stares at him. Anybody ever stared you down? Just, that's a little awkward because you know what's going to happen next. So he stares at him awkwardly. And Jesus said, your name is Simon, which then probably freaked him out a little bit because he'd never met Jesus before. And Jesus knows his name. And this is even more weird. He said, your name is Simon. Watch this. Your name is Simon, but you will be called Cephas. Your name is Simon, but you look like a Steve to me. Oh, that's how I read it. Anyway, your name is Simon, but you were called Cephas, which means Peter, which means rock. Andrew went and got his brother Simon, brought him to Jesus. And Jesus, don't miss this, Jesus spoke life into him and ultimately changed him. Jesus spoke life into him and ultimately changed him. What does that mean for us? Well, I'm glad you asked. Number one, I want this to be a place where you can bring your friends and family members. I want this to be a place where you can bring people and they meet Jesus, period. This needs to be a place where you bring people and they meet Jesus. I don't care if they like the facility. I don't care if they like the music. I don't care if they like me. I just want there to be a time at the end of every service, no matter what their preference is, I want people to be able to see Jesus clearly. I want this to be a place where you can always bring anybody on the planet, no matter where they are in life, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, no matter what's been done to them, no matter where they've been, no matter when it happened, I want this to be a place where people can be brought in and meet Jesus, period. Second of all, I want this to be a place where we don't try to change people, but we understand it's Jesus who changes people. This needs to be a place where we don't try to change people, where we understand it's Jesus who changes people. I don't change anybody. You don't change anybody. You can't change you. I can't change me. We can't change each other. Jesus changes us. That's what's happening right here in this passage. Andrew goes and tells Peter, hey, we met the Messiah. Peter probably doesn't believe him. He brings Peter to Jesus, and then Andrew just gets out of the way. And then Jesus changes Peter. Jesus, don't, don't miss that. Jesus spoke life into Peter. And I hope and pray that this will always be a place that when we are preaching from this stage, I pray we are speaking life to you. Because a lot of us, well, we have death spoken over us all week long, and we need a place where life is spoken. Now, this is the first time that Peter met Jesus. And then he moves on. He goes out and he fishes. This is the first time he met Jesus. He's running late. He takes off and goes, because Jesus is always going to interrupt you. You want, you want to make God laugh? Tell him your plans, right? Jesus interrupted Peter's plans right here. Speaks life into him. Peter takes off and goes fishing. Well, the next time, that Peter hangs out with Jesus is crazy. Jesus had just been in the synagogue. And it's an interesting story. You can read it on your own. It's Luke chapter 4. Jesus is teaching and healing. And, and there's this demon-possessed man in the synagogue. And that would be weird, right? Because you don't expect demon-possessed people to show up at church. Unless you work in church and you realize they're here all the time. Um, and so anyway, Jesus cast out this demon, and it's awesome, and the people are excited, and they're celebrating. And so Jesus, after he leaves the synagogue, it's, it's later on in the afternoon, there, there's like a, 
there's an after party. Like all the people are like taking off with him. They're, they're, they're super excited. And then this crazy event happens at Peter's house. Now keep in mind, Peter had met Jesus how many times? One. And now Jesus is rolling up at his house and it gets crazy. Verse 38 in Luke chapter 4. After leaving the synagogue that day, Jesus went to Simon's home. Can you imagine this? It's getting close to evening. Here comes Jesus. And Peter's probably like, oh, I guess you can come in. I mean, I met you once, and now you're at my house. Like, I, I guess, cool, come in. Um, welcome, glad you're here. Can I get you anything? I'm about to go to work. Like, it's late. I, I'm, I'm getting ready to leave, but, but I'll get you something. Like, wh- wh- what do you want? And Jesus kind of looks around, and, and then watch what he does. He found Simon's mother-in-law very sick with a high fever. That's bad. Your mother-in-law, sick with a high fever. Can't leave your house. Sick in your house with a high... Anyway, please heal her, everyone begged. Who begged? Everyone. I don't think Simon Peter begged. I don't think he was asking for it because he didn't know. He didn't think about it. He wasn't with Jesus over here at the synagogue. He didn't see Jesus casting out the demon. He didn't see Jesus healing the sick. He doesn't know what Jesus can do, but everybody else is like, do it again, do it again, do it again. Here's a sick lady. It was awesome when you did it. Peter, check this out. This is awesome. Please heal her. Standing at her bedside, he rebuked the fever. This is awesome. Because I can't even rebuke my dog. My dog, Titus, I could get up on the hot tub. Titus, get your butt off the hot tub! He don't get down. Idiot. Just look at him, man. Anybody want a coon hound? He rebukes the fever. Fever, get your butt out of her! He rebuked the fever and it left her and she got up at once and prepared a meal for them. Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. Most scholars believe This is why Peter eventually denied him three times. Don't worry, man. Didn't nobody like my cheesy pastor joke at any of the services. I'm going to keep telling it for the rest of forever because I like it. But can you imagine? Can you imagine, Peter? You've met. You're not laughing because you're sitting with your mother-in-law. That's why you're laughing. Peter met Jesus one time, right? One time. Spoke life into you. You heard the message one time. Cool. That, that's great. Now he comes to your house. Your mother-in-law is sick. All he does is speak. She gets up and starts cooking. You're kind of scratching your head because, like, th- this is weird. Like, who, who is this guy? And watch this, verse 40. As the sun went down that evening, so once again, if the sun's going down, Peter's getting ready to go do what? Fish, right? He's getting ready to go to work. I got to go to work. I got to work. As the sun's going down, look what's happening. People throughout the village brought sick family members to Jesus. Now that's wonderful. Except Jesus is in your house. That means he's bringing sick people to your house. Um, Me personally, I don't have the gift of hospitality. I, I don't. People say, you're a pastor. You should have the gift of hospitality. I don't. I do not have the gift of hospitality. Like when I invite people over to my house, there's a start time and an end time. Anybody else? Like, hey, why don't you come over for dinner? We're going to start at 6 o'clock, and we're ending at 8 o'clock. What happens if people don't leave by 8 o'clock, Pastor? I shut off the lights, take off my clothes, and sit on the couch. You leave in my house. And no, it's not that kind of party. But, but if you're sick, 
don't come to my house, right? If you come and you're like, Pastor Ryan, oh, it's so good to see you. Amen. I brought the green beans. Get out. Just go. I'm shutting the door in your face, right? But you said we read dinner. I'll door dash you, all right? Like I will send you door dash. Go home. Don't come to my house if you're sick. So people start bringing sick people because they heard Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. They start bringing them to the house. Can you imagine Peter? Oh, all right. I guess. Come in. Come. Oh, dang, man. Like you need to see a doctor about that. Like, like, side note, um, next week we're going to go deeper into this. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be great. All the sick people showing up and look at this. No matter what their diseases were, the touch of his hand healed everyone. L- let me plant this thought in your mind about next week. What would happen if every single person who needed healing walked through those doors and got healed? I, I can't wait till next Sunday. It's going to be great. It's going to be super controversial. Um, you're going to love it and hate it. It's going to be awesome. But I'll finish this Sunday first. Watch this. It, um, the touch of his hand healed everyone. Many were possessed by demons. Hold up. If you're going to come to my house and you're going to bring sick people, we're going to have a problem. But if you bring somebody who's demon-possessed, can we draw the line somewhere? Once again, this is crazy. They're bringing demons. Can you imagine, Peter? Jesus shows up at his house. Hey, Jesus, um, welcome. Cool, good to see you again, man. Hey, remember last time um, you met me? Um, you changed my name. It ain't sticking. Nobody else calling me The Rock yet. I really like The Rock. It's kind of cool, man. Maybe I'll start wrestling one day and do movies. Um, but it's cool um, and awesome. But, oh, you done brought Larry the Leper with you? Oh, you got Billy? Man, Billy's always sick. And then here comes this other guy. That's my best impression of a demon-possessed man. I don't... And Peter's like, oh, dang, we done lost our minds. What's happening? And and watch this. And the demons came out at his command shouting, you are the son of God. But because they knew he was the Messiah, he rebuked them and refused to let them speak. Now, if you're Simon Peter, just real quick question. Does this affect you, yes or no? Yeah. The first time you meet Jesus, Jesus speaks to him and says, you're going to be the rock. The second time Peter meets Jesus, he makes his house available. And there's all of this craziness. And he's like, man, okay, um, that's cool. You know, my mother-in-law, um, you're healing these people. Demons are coming out. Like, it's, it's, you're doing some stuff I can't deny. It's kind of cool, but I got to leave. I got to go to work. I got to fish. And he leaves. How do we know? Because the next counter that Peter has with Jesus is the one that we always hear about in church. This is the one we get taught about. This is the one we seem to remember the most. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. So it's early in the morning. Jesus is preaching. There's two empty boats. Verse 3. Stepping into one of the boats. He didn't even ask. He just steps into the boat. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. So Peter has fished all night, hadn't caught anything. We're going to see that in just a minute. And Jesus walks up to him and says, hey, I see you got a boat. I want to use it to teach the people. In other words, Peter, I want to use what you've got right in front of you. Listen, some of you are so afraid to surrender your life to Jesus 
because you're absolutely convinced if you send, surrender your life to Jesus, he's going to send you to be a missionary in Zimbabwe. Jesus needs people in Carroll too. Jesus needs people in your community. Jesus needs people here to live for him. I mean, Zimbabwe is important. Maybe we can all go there one day, but Jesus needs people who are going to live for him right here in Carroll, right in your community. So for some people to surrender your life to Jesus is just simply saying, Jesus, this is all I have. This is, this is it, but you can have it. Peter had a boat. He's like, all right, fine. Did this interrupt Peter, yes or no? Yes, this is the third time Jesus has interrupted Peter. Jesus does not come when it's convenient for you. You might want to write that down. Jesus doesn't come when it's convenient. This is the third time he's interrupted Peter. Can I use your boat? Peter's like, all right. um, I mean, the first time my brother dragged me to meet this dude. Second time he tore up my house. We're still putting it together. We dug the demon and all the craziness he did. And so now he wants my boat? I, I, I guess that's fine. You can use my boat. Watch what happens. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let your nets down to catch some fish. Have you ever argued with God? Say yes. Yes, you've argued with God. When God tells you to do something, have you ever been like, okay, um, see, God, that doesn't make no sense. Like, see, because maybe you don't know what happens here, but we, we, don't, we don't fish it in the daytime. And so, God, maybe, Jesus, you just, you just don't know how things work. Because this is huge. Because fishermen fished at night, not during the day. And so not only was fishing during the day a no-no, but Jesus, don't miss this. Jesus is asking Peter to do this in front of other people. Which, by the way, let me say this. When people say, my faith is a private faith, that's wrong. That's stupid. Stop saying it. Your faith is personal. It is not private. Jesus said to be salt of the earth and a light into the world. And light is only good if other people can see it, right? Listen, we live in a world that's constantly trying to tell us we can't publicly declare our faith. And I'm telling you, as a follower of Jesus, there's not anything or anyone on the planet that can shut me down or shut this church down from talking about the name of Jesus. Amen? It's not private. Stop. Jesus tells him, I want you to take the boat out. In other words, I want you to take a, a step of faith. And Peter's sitting there going, man, I don't I want to. Other people are going to see me do it. And so watch his response. Master, we worked hard all last night. You see that? See the problem right here? We worked hard all night, Jesus. Jesus, we worked hard. You didn't do it, you slept. We worked hard all last night. Like Jesus didn't know what they had done. Sometimes we feel like we got to inform him. We worked hard all last night, didn't catch a thing. But if you say so. But if you say, that, that phrase right there. I, man, I, I love that. I love it. Because what if somebody here today, you're wrestling with Jesus, and he's asking you to take a step of faith and trust him, and, and you, just like Peter, have all kinds of reasons to say No. But what if you got to the place where you said, all right, it doesn't make any sense, Jesus. But if you say so. But if you say so. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. 
A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. Is that a miracle, yes or no? Yeah. You get so much fish, your boats are sinking. That's crazy. Sinclair Ferguson, he's a theologian, he writes this. Consider that the miracle is not the catching of the fish, because we would all argue that catching the fish is a big miracle. But the miracle was the obedience that Peter had to let down the nets. And because of that obedience... Jesus blessed him in ways he could have never, ever, ever imagined. Listen to me. I have never, ever, ever said yes to Jesus and him not bless me in ways I could never imagine. Now, he might not bless me in ways I thought he, he was going to bless me, but I've never said yes to Jesus and him not bless me in ways I could never imagine. And the same thing will be true for you if you just surrender. Now, I said all of that to get to this place right here. Because remember, Peter spoke to Jesus, met him. Peter meets Jesus. Jesus speaks life into him. They have this crazy event at Peter's house. He saw Jesus work. And then Peter experiences this miracle. And he says this, verse eight, when Simon Peter realized, everybody say realized. There is so much theology in that one little word right there. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I am a sinful man. In that moment, Peter realized who he was, a sinful man in need of a savior. In that moment, Jesus made himself known to Peter and Peter cried out, Jesus, I am a sinful man. He's confessing right here. This is it. I'm a sinful man. I'm not going to ask anybody in here to raise their hand and, and, and identify how sinful you are. Because we can all identify with that right there. Every person in this room is sinful. Everybody watching online, sinful. If you're not sinful, don't come back here. Because we will mess you up. Because we're sinful people. All of us. Messy, broken, sinful people. We all fall short. I mean, that's what the scripture says. We all fall short of the glory of God. Peter was such a sinful person, he gets in the presence of Jesus and realized how incredible Jesus was, and he says, I can't be on your team. I'm a bad person. I'm a broken and messy person. And Peter didn't know, and this is what I didn't know for years, and so some of you need to know today, it's one of the messages we're going to continue to repeat over and over and over and over and over again in, in, in this church, is that Jesus only uses broken and messy people because broken and messy people are all that there are. Jesus uses broken and messy people. That's all there is. Broken and messy people. Peter said, I'm broken. I'm messy. I can't be used. And Jesus essentially says to him, you're right. You can't be used until you understand you're broken, you're messy, you're jacked up, and you acknowledge I'm the person who can put you back together. Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. Just like you caught fish, you're going to catch people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. After he recognized who Jesus was, who he was, his need for a Savior, what Jesus could do for him, how Jesus could put him back together. Then he left everything and followed him. So you got some options today when it comes to surrendering. You go option number one. It's what Peter did. First came to the story when Andrew came and got him and said, we found the Messiah. We can say, all right, I'll surrender this. I'll surrender this moment. I surrender this. 
Now, every single person in this room, this is the stage you're at right now at a minimum. And the reason I know this is the stage you're at at a minimum is because you're here. I'm glad you're here. But you're here. You, you've agreed to give Jesus some time. Just like Peter agreed to give Jesus some time. I surrender this. I surrender an hour and 15 minutes, man. You, you, you got it, Jesus. And that's a good start. That's, that's a good first step. But if Peter would have just said, I surrender this, and wouldn't have gone on to the next step, we wouldn't even know Peter's name today. But today, cities and cathedrals and kids all over the world are named Peter. Because he said, I, I surrender this, and he went on to the next step. Number two, I surrender some. That's what he did when Jesus came to his house. I surrender some. Like, you, you come in. You heal my mother-in-law, that's cool. Bring sick people in. You can heal the demon-possessed people. You can do all this stuff in the house. It's going to be great. I surrender some, but I'm still going to fish. So there's some people in this room, and listen, I know what this is like to have one hand holding on to Jesus and one hand holding on to something else. I surrender some. But then Jesus showed up and did a miracle in Peter's life. And I know the pushback here. Well, Pastor Ryan, if Jesus did a miracle in my life like he did in Peter's, I'd follow him. I would simply say to you, would you consider the resurrection? An empty tomb is a miracle for all of us to look at and say, if he can do that, what can he do in me if I just got to a place where I said, I surrender all? Because that's option number three. I surrender all. See, Peter pushes back on Jesus and says, I don't really want to let down the nets. But if you say so, I'll do it. But if you say so. And when he did, he experienced a miracle and the rest is history. Jesus used this messy, broken, jacked up person who we're going to see over the next several weeks. He's falling down and getting back up, falling down and getting back up. Jesus used that guy to change the world because he got to the place where he said, Jesus, I surrender all. He messed up more and more and more after that, but he kept coming back to, I surrender all. I'm here to tell you spiritually, like, I feel like I'm at that place, right? That, that's the place I want everybody in this room to be. Because I can tell you, your plans don't work here on earth, but his plans do. And his plans are greater than our plans. What would it look like today if you said, Jesus, I surrender all? Because Jesus surrendered all for us. I want you to think about that for a few minutes as I pray. Let's, let's pray. Heads bowed and eyes closed. God, thank you for surrendering all for us on the cross. I want to thank you for the times where you were close to us, even, even when we don't feel close to you. God, I pray that over the next few moments, we would just reflect on the words of this song and that they would be the prayer of our heart. That Jesus, we wouldn't just surrender some, but we would surrender all. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Just, just right where you're seated, right now. Maybe, maybe that's what you need to say this morning. Jesus, I surrender all. Maybe you've been wrestling with the decision for weeks, months, maybe even years. Right now, Jesus... I surrender all. Maybe you're here and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You never asked Jesus to come into your life because you thought you were too messy, too broken, too jacked up. But man, those are the people that Jesus is drawn to. 
And so maybe here this morning, maybe you've heard the message over and over and over and over again, but maybe this morning you feel it. You feel it different. That's Jesus calling you. He's calling you out. Maybe he's revealing himself to you. And maybe you, just like Peter, need to just confess, what a sinful man I am. Save me. And if that's you, right where you sit, you can just pray this prayer. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. Jesus, today I surrender all. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross and I believe you rose from the grave to pay for my sin. Forgive me my sin. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my God. Be my King. And be my Savior. I surrender all. All of me for all of you. Thank you today for saving me. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you just prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know. During this song, there'll be people in the back corners of the sanctuary who would love to celebrate with you, pray with you, pray for you, help you with your next steps. If anyone in here needs prayer, the, the same people will be back there to pray with you, for you, anything. You, you feel like, hey, I, I really need to surrender this. I don't really know how. Let us help you. You can't do life alone. That's why we're here. That's why we have church, not to just listen to music and preaching, but to help along the journey. Jesus, I thank you this morning that you save people. I want to thank you that you change lives. And I want to thank you that you use messy and broken people. God, I pray we would allow you to interrupt our plans because your plans are greater. We love you, Jesus. And we surrender to you. In your name, amen.